Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Oren at Cruise Consulting and my very special guests, two guests today, Haim Zaltman at Latham and Ben Potter at Latham. Welcome, guys. Hey, thanks for having us, Scott. Yeah, thanks for having us, Scott. Great to be here. So we just we just ironed out, before we turned on the mics, we figured out the the solving the legal billing solution. <laughs> uh, so Podcast these guys, number two. These yes. guys are going to be millionaires pretty soon, or already are millionaires probably. Um, so thanks for coming by. So Haim and I have been friends for, God... Eight years. It's, it's, it's probably been even longer if you really wanted to. You look a lot better than me. <laughs> uh, and he's also given me a lot of advice as we went through the child uh, process. So thank you very much for that. Uh, um, I, yeah, I don't know if other people would, would think of it as good advice, but it was advice. <laughs> it's advice. My, some of it I've enjoyed and some of my wife's like, looked at me and questioned, <laughs> yeah. questioned the validity of that advice. Uh, very practical. Very yeah. practical. Uh, but these two guys are lawyers at Latham, one of the biggest, best uh, startup law firms in the Valley, in the United States, really. And Haim is like the guy in venture debt. I'm not. I'm gonna brag about you. I'm not gonna be shy. You are. You're gonna make number one, number two, and all over the country on venture debt. So there's a ton to talk about there. And then Ben, maybe you can give kind of your background on your practice and yeah, the stuff you focus on. Yeah, I'm a guy who walks in Haim's shadow. <laughs> uh, I I, uh, I focus on. Um, I'm a startup lawyer within Latham Watkins. So I I represent companies and the venture firms that finance them, whether growth equity or not. I have a company-based practice, principally um, working with them as they get funded, advising through general company representation matters, and ultimately through a liquidity event. So um, focused principally in tech and life sciences. I'm the co-chair of our tech industry, but I have a pretty sizable life sciences practice as well, being located in the Bay Area. Um, It's a great place to be right now. And, And most importantly, he works a lot with me. (laughs) <laughs> you guys are yeah, yeah. When, when he does the growth equity uh, and uh, I do the growth debt part and so we work a lot together that's awesome yeah. it's yeah. fun though when you have that continuity right like you guys know each other the clients benefit from that I mean it's fun for me Ben struggles a little bit with it but you know no so it's a it's a point of pride I get to bring Hyman into every single company I work with because every single company needs debt financing does and he they, take they out the money. dinner like once a month or how, how does that work no vice versa oh wow, <laughs> yeah. wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Uh, now Hyman give your Quick background. Uh, sure. Uh, Heim Zaltzman, uh, partner of Ben's at uh, Latham & Watkins. Um, sit in San Francisco in our Silicon Valley office in Mendel Park, uh, but have a fairly national practice handling all of the, quote, growth debt at Latham & Watkins. Um, what that means, we can talk about a little bit more, more deeply in a second, but it's anything from the fairly small venture debt that you see for very early startups to... Uh, what we call structured debt, debt that has to do with startups that aren't yet cash flow positive, i.e. can't service the debt, uh, but I already have revenues and other assets that could be used as sources of payment for debt. And these deals tend to be a little bit larger, more mature, but we're seeing more and more of that from the early stage, moving to the late stage. Uh, And then uh, more esoteric stuff and growth, so stuff like IP back debt, uh, royalty financings on the healthcare side. Um, So that's generally what we call growth. It's anywhere from very little to no uh, revenue to all the way up to probably like 15 million dollars of EBITDA of cash flow. Uh, Healthcare, uh, life sciences, and tech, I'm usually pretty even split, and, and I'm pretty even split between my lender investor practice and the company side practice. Um, and it's all over the US. Um, 
you know, probably get 40% here in the San Francisco Bay Area, another 30% in the Boston, New York area, and then a lot in Southern California, but yeah. pockets everywhere. Mirrors like the venture capital I, it, 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 it definitely yeah. mirrors the venture capital. Although we've been seeing a lot of action also overseas with a lot of our lenders and investors going for, I mean, you know, as you know, it's become a global world. Everybody talks about the Chinese VC yeah. world, so that's obviously part of it. But there's a huge community in Europe and, you know, the capital knows no boundaries usually. Yeah. Uh, I won't I won't make any political statements. Uh, we'll leave that to a different uh, leave a, that to Ben. Yeah, a different session. Uh, hopefully with with some whiskey involved. Uh, but um, we've been seeing a lot of deals. Randomly, have done five Australian deals really? this last year. We actually get a lot of Australian startups. Yeah, too. yeah. Startup ecosystem is really going. Yeah, Australia's been uh, oddly enough out of nowhere really popped up into yeah. my radar. But you know, Northern Europe, uh, Southeast Asia. I mean, we we see them all. Some Latin America. Um, yeah, uh, so awesome. it's, it's been super interesting. So you talked about you guys talked about how you kind of bring each other into deals. Yeah. And one of the questions that we kind of talked about was like outlining growth equity, what that is, the definition of that, how companies use that, and then also outlining growth debt and how that complements growth equity. You got you want to start with growth equity, Ben? Yeah, sure. So um, as I mentioned, I, I have a principally a company based practice, so I, I represent a lot of VCs as well. And um, you know, a traditional venture investment is. An investment into an unproven business yeah. with an unproven business model. When those companies get some product product market fit, so to speak, um, you see an opportunity where um, the company has an opportunity to grow and scale. So whether it's scaling within their existing market, attacking new markets, um, but it's an opportunity for a venture firm or perhaps a crossover or PE firm, we'll talk about that a little bit, to invest into a company with um, an opportunity not to invest into sort of an unproven business model on a revenue play, but perhaps to invest into a profitability model with a proven unit, economic, uh, unit economics model and really drive that forward. So it attracts a new type of investor. And like the unit economics might be like customer acquisition costs divided by, or LTV divided by customer acquisition Yeah. Like every I mean, dollar they invest, they get $5 of revenue or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think that. that's right. So, I mean, so you, get, you get a lot of... Um, investors who are accustomed to more of a control investment as opposed to a venture investment. And they're those are the private equity shops, yeah, right? Yeah. Who want to control. And, and they're accustomed to um, investing into a business with real free cash flow yeah. and real opportunity to hone the profitability model as opposed to the revenue model. So you see these investors, we can talk about who they are. Um, we represent a number of them writing checks that are anywhere between, you know, uh, 50 million to 100 million dollars to 500 million dollars uh, some of those Chinese investors I was talking about and it's an opportunity that's completely different um, than some of the artisanal VC firms that are investing really just you know with a 20% equity stake into a, a set of founders and trying to give them some running room to prove out the business yeah. But those those later stage, the the more structured investors are are coming in three or four years after, or five or six years after the VCs, right? And That's right. Once and, it's proven. And you know, one point we might want to discuss a little bit is it's a little bit different by industry, right? So in life sciences, um, you've seen this phenomenon since around 2012, 13, 14, a so-called crossover round, um, where and it's very much looks like a growth equity play, but it's a part of a play that's a predecessor to an IPO. Mm -hmm. And so you've got the so-called crossover investor, the Fidelities, the T. Rose of the world, uh, folks who are active in the public markets, but also sometimes take a position in a privately held company. And in that case, 
and in that world, um, you're not, they're not funding a profitability model, but they're funding uh, lots of scale um, into an opportunity where there's a really defined road to an IPO. Yeah. And so it's the last mezzanine round into going into the public markets. And don't they usually say, like, tell the company they're going to buy in the IPO too? It's, that's it's exactly a bit right. So, so one, one, that's exactly right, Scott. So something that has happened in the last few years is you'll see, and, and we were just combing through some data over the weekend, you know, these life science IPOs are oftentimes up to 30% or more participation by existing investors. So it's critical you've got a real anchor tenant yeah. heading in that IPO from your existing cap table. Yeah. And that's oftentimes what the crossover round is is geared to, to do. But that's it's very much a growth equity play because those rounds are minimum $50, 55000000 million. Yeah. And, and, and we've actually seen, Scott, it, the world's converge just one way, but collide is another way. So we, there's just so much capital out there. And I know everybody's sick of hearing it. Capital, capital, there's lots of capital. But there really is yeah. lots of capital. And we've been seeing you know the folks who are traditionally much larger private equity, big fund players, looking for yield on one end, moving lower in the market, and also, more importantly, strategically looking to get their foot in the door with seed or other rounds to try to make sure that they're better positioned later on. Do it. So we're, we've seen a lot of the really big players, both in Chinese and the US private equity world, have both on the equity set up growth equity shops and set up growth debt shops in order to move to the late stage technology market uh, and or uh, the late stage life science market, uh, the, what we call the structured area where there's some revenues, companies are commercial, et cetera, um, in order to get a piece of that p- uh, puzzle, partly for yield, but also partly to make sure that their foot is in the door so that they get better opportunities later on. Yeah. What do you think it is like, what changed? Was it, because I, I remember those investors, they weren't super active back in the day. Was it that they used to be, they were afraid they were getting kind of only the drags and the adverse selection was at work? Or is it like capital is so abundant now that people just are not afraid of that and they're just going to, or they can do better diligence because of the internet or what's, what are the factors that have think, facilitated that? I think part of it is an environment with low interest rates and yeah. seek for return right. yeah. quite, quite candidly. Yeah, that's part of it. I do think that there was a moment because I, I definitely think that's what opened up the, the, the gates. So when I, when I think that the levy really broke yeah. uh, is when folks realized um, that cash flow on the tech side isn't a you know end all in itself, yeah. and that you can actually slice it with revenue. And uh, you know, if the company has X revenue but it's not cash flow, you could actually get pretty good credit uh, support uh, from just the revenue, and particularly recurring revenue was a really is a really huge yeah. theme on the tech side. And on the life science side, there's always been a group of investors and including IPOs for companies that are extremely early, that are yep. clinical, yeah. etc. Yep. So I think the tech's been actually trying to catch up with, oh my God, how can the life science guys, you know, do IPO, there's in capital markets for companies yeah. that have zero in revenue, yeah. right? And all just an idea, granted, they're phase two, they're phase two right? Yeah. But the milestones, it's a little bit clearer. So I think folks have tried to incorporate that paradigm over the tech. And the first step they did it after the, the there were cracks and they were just wanted to yield is through recurring revenue SaaS models. But now they're looking at, oh, this is sticky. Yeah. This is still a pretty good credit and, you know, uh, a company that has $500 million in revenue and is in a growth space, but is, is not cash flow positive, is that a worse credit than this little dinky yeah. company that has $5 million of cash, but you know is in, not in a growth area? The answer is clearly no, yeah. but before that, they weren't really looking at those models. And now we're seeing a lot of the big credit shops and the investors really looking at it and, and moving more down. Yeah, and then you said it started with SaaS. What, just kind of for the audience, 
we talk about getting revenue support, like the lender gets support. What, what do you mean by that? So just uh, when a lender looks at a, a company, obviously I'm, I'm just the lawyer and not the credit guy. They're, they're, they're looking to make sure that the company has, quote unquote, what it takes to pay back the debt. So in traditional deals, you look at cash flow, yeah. which is uh, you want profits to be able to pay back the debt. But what we've been able to find is, look, if the company is growing so significantly, even if it's not cash flow positive, the reason it's not cash flow positive, it's not profitable, is because it's spending a lot yeah. for growth. Reinvesting. But reinvesting, but you still have all of this revenue. So they could always stop the reinvesting and then generate the profits if they had to, or at least they have enough revenue to be able to pay us back, even though they're not technically profitable. Yeah. And you can get companies with significantly more revenues who are you know pushing for growth than you know, smaller companies that have to be profitable but aren't growing. And you want the company that's actually growing because they're eating up more market share, it's more yeah. sticky. So they started looking at part of the equity model and also that recurring revenue, the stickiness of the revenue yeah. to justify, to basically be a replacement in many ways. Not permanently, obviously. Sooner or later you want to make money. Yeah. Uh, but a replacement, short term at least, for growing companies for the profitability that's usually the core of what the big banks yeah. land on. And then they can get, and eventually they do the IPO, because still a lot of companies, right. on the tech side, a lot of companies are losing money when they do the IPO. Yeah. Right. They're still losing money, but their losses are Losses are less, but they're, much, yeah. but they're showing trajectory, yeah. they're showing growth, and the stickier the revenue, the yeah. current revenue is just a way to call yeah. it, you know, finding be stick, the stickier it is, the harder it is to move off of it, the, the more the contracts are longer term. Like looking at yeah. one year contracts is better than looking at one month contracts, for example. Yeah. There's all sides of this analysis, and and the investors, you know, the big players have always kind of looked at it on the equity side, and now that that's kind of catching up and working yeah. together. Yeah. But again, um, the growth equity round has a different place for tech and life sciences. Yeah. Right? So maybe explain that then. Well, also increasingly, you're seeing the growth equity around be the IPO, right? So as the soft banks of the world are coming in, we, we have clients that are raising capital in huge uh, growth equity rounds, so to speak, and they don't expect to go public. Yeah. Um, that, that is their IPO, and that's going to get them to um, a place where they get liquidity for their investors through alternate routes. Whereas in life sciences, um, it, it really, you look at the market right now, we're 2x where we were last year in IPOs. It's red hot wow. IPO market in life sciences, and it's very much a stepping stone. Yeah. And very much, as you were saying earlier, part of the playbook to filling out the book yeah. for an IPO. And maybe for the audience, when a life sciences company does an IPO, usually that's all new shares the company's issuing that kind of builds their war chest, right? Correct. And with the tech companies, I think what I hear you saying is they've already done that big late stage round from a soft bank or maybe Sequoia's new fund or another foreign investor. So maybe when they do an IPO, they're only selling a few primary shares and, and some of its investors getting out of the company. It's like a liquidation event for it's- some it can investors. be, and, the, and the, yeah, and the I didn't mean don't don't take what I said earlier as an overstatement. The, the IPO market is certainly open for yeah. terrific tech companies, but there's so much opportunity for capital raise in the yeah. private markets to date. Still, although we're looking at SoftBank, I think a lot of people are asking, you know, what happens in a world after SoftBank? Yeah, um, and, and he's talking about the hundred billion dollar yeah. vision fund from SoftBank that it raised with yeah. Saudi Aramco and others. That's a big and. $100 billion is large for any fund, but it is, just for the audience, it was a monument, it was like the Titanic yeah. of it. We've never seen a ship like yeah. this ever 
in the VC world, a hundred billion dollars. I mean, the average fund is you know five hundred to a billion, if that. Uh, and there's a few outliers that were like two, three, four, five billion max. Yep. And then to jump in there with a hundred, I repeat, one hundred <laughs> billion dollars. It's like uh, Doctor Evil. Yeah, it's like it's uh, like it, it just like the trajectory. It, it was literally like you're just tossing an iceberg in the middle. Uh, and seeing how the water yeah. switches around. My friend was an executive at a late stage company that took money from them, and I think they took like five hundred million. And he's like off the record. They they want they were like demanding we give you a billion for a long yep. time. And management was like, "That's nice. We just don't need it, and not enough people want to sell." And da 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 da. And it's but not, it warps but it, people's behavior. A correct. Bit. And it's, but it's not just um, SoftBank too. It, it is the phenomenon yeah. of of capital coming in from overseas. We represent a company named Impossible Foods who've raised. <laughs> They've had success in raising a really large uh, convertible note financing, for instance. And it's largely been funded through funds out of that region of the world, the Tomasics of the world. And those checks are, are, are bigger than, uh, than they were in Silicon Valley a few years ago. And it's just because the capital's there. Yeah. Yeah. This is crazy, but I did their Series A venture. Yeah, I actually, I actually remember, remember that. that. I do remember yeah. that. Yeah. So, so, like, so, so we, so we so worked often, together. Yeah. We, oh, we did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah so, actually, that makes sense, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, you guys definitely were. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, we, yeah. we, yeah, we, uh, we've done their debt since like the since yeah, like yeah. since like the the three million dollar equipment line. Oh, we didn't even think about that. Yeah, that was like when they were Dinker Meet Two Dot Oh. Yeah. Or they had like five different names. Yeah. Crazy. Anyways. The company's kicking ass. That's awesome that they can go out there. But it's another raise. example, that one, food tech, where yeah. there's a lot of opportunity in the private markets to fund a company with real, that's going to commercial scale and is in restaurants now. And it's, you know, that that's what they're fundraising yeah. for. And they don't need to go to the public market. That's amazing. Yeah, they can yeah and there are obviously advantages to staying private, right? I mean, everybody weighs them. There's Maybe we the talk about them real fast. Like, yeah, so no, and, and Ben will probably be better. But, you know, and, you know, obviously everything you do is public. You have to disclose it if it's material. Uh, so you, you get the public reaction to it. People are much more focused on the stock. It's much harder on the short term. People are, are really focused on quarterly earnings. Again, this is not a negative. Yeah. The, the positives, obviously, is liquidity in the market. There are more financing sources generally available, but you weigh that as an institution uh, on what you can still obtain in terms of credit on the private market and not having to deal with the outside eye. There's also you know more regulatory and other things that happen when you're public uh, than when you're private yeah. uh, by the SEC and other organizations. Um, your competitors can see everything you're doing. Your competitors doing can see a lot more of yeah. what you're doing. Um, it's a lot harder to be stealth and push towards the long-term type yeah. strategy. Um, so for tech companies who are not profitable yet, right, and that's a key word, they're not showing profit, to be able to stay private and not have to deal with that public disclosure can be an advantage that you know that some of them yeah. prefer. I mean, it, it, it each depends on the view of the board and the management and the strategy, but we, we obviously are seeing in market seeing many companies in the tech world, oddly, not as much in the life science world, which is just much more uh, familiar and used to very small companies yeah. Uh, we're at clinical stage even going public. Yeah, and I was, I think another reason for staying private is like you get the you can really build your management team kind of out of the spotlight and get your VPs, get your directors. Right. If sometimes sometimes you make a bad hire and that can a bad VP of sales can really torpedo a company's sales for a couple. You know, so no or, one wants to see or, that happen. But or like, or a bad lawyer if you don't have yeah. a great outside counsel. <laughs> which, which brings me to Latham and Watkins. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Have we spoken uh, about Latham yeah. Watkins? Talk about yeah. one of the questions we had was. This is a layup. How busy are you guys right now? Is it busy out there? <clears throat> I say that jokingly. I will say it's busy. Yeah, as I you're as working I, on the weekend, obviously. As, as I indicated earlier, you know, the, for life sciences, the IPO market's at two x. Um, it's an extremely active marketplace and remains that way across all sectors. And that means, you know, topic du jour, um, a lot of growth equity rounds are being raised. Um, 
in, in advance of those IPOs in the life sciences sector or just in tech. And I, I can't remember a time in my practice when it's been busier. So the reason I looked at my email is not just to be rude, which, which I, I, I can be at times. Uh, since we started this, this um, meeting, uh, this interview, what, like 15 minutes ago, I've received 58 emails. No way. Yeah. That's amazing. So I and, thought and, I get a lot of emails. And granted, it's lunch. I, yeah. think, I think a lot of my clients and other folks try to torture me by hitting me right when they know that I'm trying to eat. But, uh, Denial of Heinz. Uh, it, it's great. You know, we're not complaining. We obviously have the bandwidth. I mean, one of the benefits, again, yeah. not, to, not to tout late them too no, much. No, tout late them. You guys but, are awesome. But one of the benefits is we do, it's a, it's a broad platform with a lot of people in, good, in, in offices around the U.S. and internationally so that we can spread the word, the work when it hits, yeah. when there is an issue, because clearly no single lawyer can handle everything. Yeah. Uh, so we are really proud of that platform that we've built and continue to perpetuate. But back to your initial question, it's as busy as we've ever seen it. Uh, you know, part of it, I think, is market dynamics. Part of it's clearly political uncertainty. We really do think that's happening in that. Is it, it like, because it's a take the money and run? It's, it's a, like, it, get, it's, ring the, ring it's a we're not or, sure what's yeah. happening. The market's really good. Yeah. And we have in the back of our head, even though we can't really talk about it because it's irrational to talk about it, but we have in our back of our head that some that something can change yeah. with the current administration, its reactions and, and posturing from day to day. And therefore, we don't really care about the marginal cost yeah. of anything relative to not being able to have access. So let's just close this deal yeah. and let's push. And when everybody does that, you get a lot that's of market a, that's push. That's exact advice I give our startups. Yeah. Like, always raise more money, right. get it done quicker. Yeah. And also, don't, I mean, don't you guys feel like you have the collective 2008 to 2010 or 2012 right. hangover still in the back of your mind? Like, I still think about that all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In some ways, we're depression babies now. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think careers. so. But we're probably old enough all to remember 01, too. You know, uh, so yeah, maybe no, maybe not you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah no, I, I remember it. Although, although, yeah, I, I have a great. You were in high school. <laughs> I, I was not in high school. I graduated from college, Scott. Scott's just commenting on the fact that I have very big baby cheeks. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's this auto catalytic effect too, because we're we're out of the office, or we're out, we're out of the home more doing our work, and so we give our email addresses to our wives, and right. so then Heim gets thirty emails from his wife. <laughs> yeah. I, I was actually at the office. I actually got a, le- a handwritten letter. From my daughters, oh, that's ma- awesome. my office because I've been home so little. Oh, so. Uh, that's that's the barometer of how hot the market is. <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, but but it is a hot market. People are, are ringing their cash register. Yeah. yeah. And sure. we and even, we see even that in too. the summer months, yeah. we're seeing like big. Yeah. I mean, big you guys must be. You guys must yeah. be. It's crazy. So how? Flipping it back to you. Yeah. I mean, how are you guys handling? I mean, there's a lot of. We we worked almost everyone at Christmas Consulting worked over the weekend this weekend. It's just and this is July. It's yeah. busy as shit. Yeah, I thought it was going to end with the end of quarter. I thought we were going to get a reprieve, um, but it didn't really last. Yeah. It was not, not real. But it's, it's um, for our team, I mean, we have a lot of younger people. We're still building the firm, so a lot of people we hire are younger, senior uh, staff, senior accountants who are learning their trade. It's actually like our people are, are probably a lot of your younger people too are willing to make the trade off because yeah. they're getting like this incredible experience, the firehose experience. So it does kind of stink that a lot of people are working over the weekend, including Vanessa and I, who have a five-month-old. But it's the trade-off is there, and everyone's accelerating in their careers and getting so much experience right. really quickly that it, it yeah, kind of good. makes sense. You That's know? good. What are some of your favorite ways of like developing your legal team talent, like the people that work with you, mm-hmm. support those? You talk about like having the deep bench. Like, what do you? What techniques do you guys use? Are we allowed to talk about the crime? <laughs> the performance reviews. <laughs> yeah. No, I, so that's a great question. You know, one of the things we've focused on in our startup practice in Silicon Valley is really developing out of Silicon Valley and sharing some of our mind share and developing a so-called national practice. Yeah. So 
we, we've got um, offices in Boston, LA that are specific to emerging companies. And so that's really smart. Yeah, and so we, we really attack the recruiting, but also the development of our talent nationally. And knock on wood, even globally, we've got folks in the UK, um, a few names I can mention that, that we're you know, harvesting, growing. But um, we, you know, at Latham, we review our associates twice a year. So we have a formal process we, we look at. But we try to do a lot more than that. We really try to staff people on transactions, look at it from a departmental standpoint, really make investments in people's yeah. careers. So And watch how they're coming up and make sure they're really getting more than just an apprenticeship, but they're getting access to a good variety yeah. of deals and supervisors, right. and they don't all have to work for Heim. Yeah, yeah. Working for me is the hard part, although although it seems to be very popular lately. Uh, no, that's exactly right. I mean, we try to build the firm. The firm does a really good job in terms of associate progression, associate development. Um, one of the things that you know I personally try to do is just to stay as involved and actually show the associates like the larger business part of it. Uh, this is what we do for the clients. This is why it takes. This is why we're really part of the client teams. Take him out to meals. Take yeah. him out to events with clients, so that we see that we're social and that we're really part of the end product of the, the client does. Uh, and then just try to work on kick-ass transactions for it, you know high-profile clients that we love, and get people to have a sense of ownership of that. You know, because the, the work hours can be intense. Yeah. Uh, it's this is definitely not um, not for everybody. Yeah. Uh, which is you know it is what it is. There's obviously some things I wish I could change that are client-driven, and some things that are my personality-driven. The ones that Ben was referring to earlier that <laughs> make it more difficult, and, and that's even before alcohol. But um, uh, we try to be very hands-on and really tailor people. But it's tough at times yeah. because the workflows. But uh, we really do try to, to build out those compartments. Well, you guys are also. I'm sure the the younger people are getting this. Like you guys are trusted advisors. Like you. What make I don't. I haven't worked with Ben as directly as Heim, but like what makes Heim awesome in a deal is that you can give the practical implications of any kind of decision yeah. that the managing team is making. Like right. this term. We either come back and bite you this way, or we need to push really hard and not ever give in on this term. Da 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 da. Which is one of the reasons I like working with you so much because you you like it's the biz it's the business advice. Actually, it's not you're not even really giving legal advice. You're giving business advice. No, I, I I appreciate that, and we um and I'll I'll pay you for that statement later. So. <laughs> uh, but uh, um we try to be very practical. Um, yeah. We know our clients don't want to grind most of the time on everything. Um, cost is obviously an issue in some end, but mostly it's just efficiency of getting deals done. Yeah. Uh, and we try to be very practical. And you know, the, the, the concept that I always focus on is added value. Like a lot of folks can do just your legal docs. We think we do them better, or we do them just as well, but a lot of folks can do them. And there's great law firms out there and other great lawyers, no, no denying and no needing to sandbag anyone. Uh, but in terms of adding value uh, and really pushing our client, both from a practical advice, doing stuff for them, you know, that, to help them connect to whatever it is, we're, we're very prone and very yeah. focused on trying to do that. And there's a little bit of a network effect, right? Because you guys see so much of the activity in the Valley that you know effectively what, what market is. I mean, do you see that on the growth equity stuff? Like, you know what terms should be, you know, liquidations preferences should be, all that kind of stuff. He, dream, he dreams about them. Well. <laughs> in a good way. Well, without question. So not, not the dreaming part, but that, that's where, you know, we've added a lot of value run I said I'm a company owner, it's true, but we also represent a lot of investors. Yeah. And that's where we flip around and that's give a lot of value. We say, look, um, you're coming into this venture community and this this potential you know, club deal um, with a different perspective, perhaps, because you're a private equity investor. And I'm here to kind of tell you how your term sheet is going to look different than, than the others. And some places where you might want to hold firm and some places where yeah. you might want to try to accommodate and look more like the others. Yeah. And th- that's a way of saying... You know, we've got a really strong sense of what market is. Yeah. And, you know, for example, 
whether folks are asking for preferences in their liquidation stack or if they're looking to go peri pursue, if they're seeing any structure around that or dividends, if they're asking for redemption rights, if they're getting a, a force on um, an IPO or liquidity event after a certain period, because those are some of the terms yeah. that some of these folks yeah. who are coming in later um, are, are looking at it um, in a very different way than the early stage investors did when they're just looking for a home run. And you're kind of looking out for them in the sense that you, if, if they're trying to break into a new market, correct me if I'm wrong, but like they don't want to look like the outsider. They want to kind of look like they've been doing this for a long time. And yeah. probably a lot of them getting the management team comfortable taking their money is that, no, we're not going to screw you and we know how to do this. and totally. that. So if they put the wrong foot forward, totally. they violated that. They, they want to put a step forward that's authentic to their own firm yeah. and their values, yeah. but that is fine-grained with respect to the terms that are already existing and the, and the personalities and the venture firms yeah. that are already around the table. Right. That's important both for the lenders and the investors. I mean, the, the example I always have is there's the customer-facing stuff, which is really important. So we're like, no, don't use this term. Don't use this type of term sheet. They're used to seeing this. So yeah, try totally. to redo it as this. Totally. But the, again, these are large institutions oftentimes, or institutions, right, large or small, and they have their own you know, animals internally. So you need to get credit or your investment yeah. committee comfortable with doing something different. And we try to be helpful on that end as well. No, no, this is it just like this. This is how you slice it. You, we, I just translated you to this to this earlier stage VC type format that these guys are going to understand. But you're getting the same credit and or similar yeah. credit, or it's close enough to this. And 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 we think we add a lot of value because you know we are um, you know and again uh, since we are on the phone uh, on the on the on the mic to, to plug ourselves. We, we really are proud of the zero to 60. We really can't take a company from zero to 60. And at 55 miles an hour, i.e. you IPO'd, you're cash flowing, you have certain IP needs, you're working overseas. Those are much, the, the set of legal issues are very different. Yeah. And a set of investors and lenders who are in that part of the world sure. is night and day from where they were when you were five million in revenue earlier. But we see them all yeah. and we can help translate those worlds without having to jump ship or just to skip another car, for, to use the metaphor. Uh, it's a really, um, we find that to be the, the, the added value of the platform yeah. uh, that we can really sell. That's awesome. And it's ultimately, you, you have to get, if you make mistakes early, your lawyer isn't good enough to warn you about these issues and things coming up, then you're gonna, you're never gonna make it to 55 miles well, an hour, right? You, like, you or may, it's a lot harder to. It's a lot harder. So yeah. so look, uh, we don't wanna give ourselves too much credit, but it, so look, if you have an amazing product, you'll work it through, likely if you have the right capital and amazing product and you're really smart, a lot of startups will we will push through, but the mistakes cost people time. It costs people personnel. Uh, they cause people heartache. Oftentimes, put the wrong foot forward. That can be more costly later on. Yeah. So keeping that, you know, making sure the next step and thinking of it uh, is very important. I mean, so you know, to bring myself and Ben into the picture, when a company, a seed company, just starts up and brings them in, they're probably not that much looking for debt. But if they're not thinking of debt, which 95% yeah. of our startups are, and they don't have a strategy for it, i.e. they haven't spoken to it, they haven't, they're missing something like 30 to 40% of the capital that's available for startups, and even more so when, after you IPO, right? So who thinks of their business strategy and doesn't, and leaves out a third? Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So that- It could be life-changing. For yeah, it, it could be yeah. huge. Right? So we try to get at a conversation. And if you want to ignore us earlier on, I get it. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I have lots of people, you know. You, I get ignored. You know, yeah. I, I get ignored. <laughs> it's, it's a natural thing. But we try to bring that out of value yeah. to help strategically in how they think of the, yeah. the options. And it's, it's not a transaction-based relationship with our companies. It's a relationship. Yeah. It's a relationship. And, you know, we really try to get a, um, a real sense for the culture and the personality of the client. 
because we, we, we pride ourselves on being the best in the world in um, providing advice and getting transactions done. But that's in many ways for what we do with startups table stakes. You know, we really want to be able to translate that and the terms they're getting into ways that the companies can understand. The founders who may be doing this for the first time or the second time can really appreciate and understand what you know, layering in a participating uh, preferred stock security term will do to their cap table and they try to raise capital or try to try to exit yeah and and uh, in terms of thinking about and, and speaking about things that can really make a massive and material misstep or, or just a, or just a step that the founder doesn't fully appreciate because they don't you know they're running around financing with a bunch of safes or notes and they haven't modeled out the dilution in a way to really understand when they raise their first round you know how that actually plays out in a cap table and, and what that looks like so yeah. there are a variety of things that you know, we're outside counsel, but we try to view ourselves as inside counsel as kind of really being a trusted advisor and, and a teammate um, to the founders and what they're trying to accomplish in building their product and their business. I love that about you guys. You guys are in it for the long haul. The fact that you yeah. even brought up Impossible Foods, which I think that was a company that started eight or nine years ago, right? Or yeah. like forever ago, that you're still working with them is amazing. Well, yeah, and it's, it's an added perk if you're, if you're, uh, you're, yeah. if you're involved with a, a mission-driven business that you're aligned with, yeah. right? So I, so I am... Uh, vegan, and it's been um, a privilege to work with Pat Brown, the founders, and watch the team grow up. And that that's just an added um, benefit of the job that I can uh, at least explain to my wife why I'm slaving away on the weekends, <laughs> why, why she's having her children send us cards. In the, uh, yeah. you know, my, my wife wishes I ate more vegetarian. You look good. You look healthy. <laughs> oh, just yeah. the stress. Uh, that's all good. Yeah. All right. We got to wrap it up. Yeah. You guys are amazing. Maybe you can tell everyone where they can find you. Uh, sure. Uh, probably the easiest is just email H-A-I-M dot Z-A-L-T-Z-M-A-N at L-W dot com. Uh, by far the easiest. Um, and ben. Yeah, same here. Ben Potter, B-E-N dot P-O-T-T-E-R at L-W dot com. Uh, feel free to reach out. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll, yeah. we'll link to this on our on your website and all that kind of stuff. Cool. So, yeah, ben, no, hey. no, Scott, thank you. Yeah, uh, thank you. And, and by oh, the way, you. we didn't spend a lot, but what you guys have been able to do here in Grow Cruise has just been uh, sensational. I appreciate it. We're there's, there's, too. Huge, there's huge need for what you're I doing, know, and, and we're, we're looking forward to can send as many clients to you as we can. Thank you. Thank you. We're, it's a little scary sometimes because we sometimes we can't take them all, but we're, we're doing our best. <laughs> uh, ben, Hein, you guys are awesome. Highly recommend. They're amazing. Call them, make them your lawyers. Thank you guys, appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks man, really awesome. appreciate it, thank you.